Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the great humanitarian and founder of the Dr. Atlas Foundation, Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how are you? Good. Uh, good to see you, Ken. I see different background there. Um, are you in your spring abodes? Uh, in your, yep. uh, sp- uh, I mean, I, I never know which one of your, you know, many estates that you might be... <laughs> I don't know which one you're in at the time, or or even if it, you're in the country, you could be out of the country in, in one of your, maybe the Swiss Alps. I'm not sure, but I see. Or you could even have your own, uh, is that your own indoor stadium in the back, or is that just a painting? Um, very, fi- very fair questions. Um, we call this place the undisclosed location. Okay. The last thing I need is for people to know where I'm at. Next thing you know, there's a crowd outside, cameras. No one wants that. I got kids. I no, yeah, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm definitely with you. Is that a indoor stadium? That's actually, or is that just a? It's a picture, right? Or is that actually a? a that's just pi- some pictures of the greatest city on earth, Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, okay, home of the champs. So I I see. I'm glad you mixed up. You went to one of your different um, because I'm used to seeing Bobby Orr behind you, right? And Campbell's yeah, soup. Yeah, yeah, and, that's right. And um, Just and Andy Warhol, Warhol, Warhol. Yeah, um, that's right, Andy Warhol. Warhol, and um, I don't have any Andy's uh, works. <laughs> I I'll trade you my uh, I'll trade the Warhol paintings for um, the World Championship heavyweight world title ring. Uh, some of the belts you have, anyone can buy a Warhol painting. Those other things you have to earn. That's why those are so much more important. I appreciate it. And um, which whichever one of your retreats that you happen to be occupying <laughs> today, it's good to be with you. You uh, you make me feel good. It's good to be with you. I love your t-shirt. Before we get into the um, show today, I just want to give a quick shout out to our returning sponsor. Life's starting to get back to normal after the pandemic. And uh, one of the things that I've been doing during this quarantine is um, taking Athletic Greens every day. One of the things that a lot of the experts talk about is keeping your immune system strong and you know, look, I know with ads, people are always like, oh, they're getting paid to say that. But again, I want to emphasize, we reached out to these guys because it's a product that Rob and I use and we've got you using in uh, camp for Alex Vosdick Better BF Fight. Um, but again, just to reiterate, this is like an all-in-one supplement. I take it every morning. It's got probiotics, prebiotics, all your multivitamins, all the nutrients you need. It's the only thing I take for the most part, unless I'm in real intense training, I'll take some recovery drinks. But um Yeah, these guys have been great to us. They're great to work with. If you go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas, A-T-L-A-S, you'll get uh, 20 free travel packets. So basically, you'll you'll get 50 servings for the price of 30. Uh, I think right now, if you you use the subscription service, it's $77. It's less than $2 a packet. And, you know, if you factor that in against a cup of coffee, it's actually a pretty good deal. I know $77 can seem a bit much for a vitamin, a monthly supply. But again, if you look at it like an investment in your health and nutrition, it's well worth it, especially when all this talk about strengthening your immune system. And again, I'll ask you, you've been using it. What do you think? Gets you through the day. Uh, it gives you, it does a couple, for me, it's it's always about time. And not being complicated because um, complicated things give me problem. 
Uh, so, <laughs> you, you know, you, it's an easy fix. It's an easy mix. Uh, you drink it. And as far as the time goes, there's times where I don't have a chance to grab something and it gets you through, you know, it gets you through those spots uh, where it'll hold you over, where you, I'm trying to lose a little weight. So sometimes, and and sometimes I just, again, I, you don't want to take the time to, to eat something. And if you do, you don't want to be eating the things that you wind up eating, like a cheeseburger. So, <laughs> exactly. So you, you, you know, you take a glass of this and uh, it gets you through that spot. It keeps you away from the cheeseburger, even though I do kind of like cheeseburgers, but it keeps you through that, gets you past that, and it gets you to your next meal, you know, it gets you to later in the day, still feeling good, you know, not feeling like yep. you're losing it, like you're, you know, hello, you know, like what was I supposed to say? You know, it, it, <laughs> it keeps you together. And um, I know that my daughter likes it, my daughter is an attorney. They're living with us now. They sold their house in Jersey. Her, her husband, uh, two beautiful children, our grandchildren, uh, little Joseph, who's two and a half, and little Mara, who's six months. They're living with us now. And she's got to work from home like everybody. She's an attorney. She's got two kids. Me and my wife are helping out. But she's amazing. She's Wonder Woman. She really is. She's Wonder Woman. That she can do what she does. And be able to at the same time take care of these kids and she drinks it and it helps you know because you're talking about not having time you're talking about needing energy mm -hmm. uh talk to nicole atlas um nicole atlas fazio i'm sorry i didn't mean to leave, leave that out <laughs> well check them out at athleticgreens.com slash atlas a-t-l-a-s for 20 free travel packs teddy today i want to talk to you about um an iconic fight and just to set it up you know mike tyson has been in the news recently he's getting back in shape he looks unbelievable for 53 to be honest um and he's been posting a lot of training videos and everyone's talking about it i mean to the extent that espn last saturday they ran about 20 of his fights in a row 10 to 20 i mean there was an entire day of mike tyson's um early fights and um one that I wanted to talk to you about, though, was his fight against Michael Spinks, which I think doesn't get a a enough um, of the accolades it deserves because people seem to forget that Spinks coming into this fight was, I think, 31-0. and 0. He was the unified light heavyweight champ. He was a unified heavyweight champ. He was the lineal champ. Was I think he was the Olympic gold medalist. I mean, the guy won everything. It was destroying people, and Mike Tyson just took him apart, and, and Spinks never fought again. And with that, I wanted to get your thoughts on the fight, so I'll turn it over to you there and tell me what you tell me what you think on when you think of that fight. Yeah, people thought he was dead man walking. That's the problem. They, they dismissed everything that you just said, which should not be dismissed, but they did. I get it. People are people. Uh, they said that he was intimidated. You know, he was scared to death. He was, you know pooping his pants. I mean, you know, we're not trying to be wise guys or anything, but this is what it was, you know, and that he was frozen. He was a deer in headlights. He was a guy waiting to go to the guillotine, put his head on the block, and let's get it over with. And first of all, that's not fair because nobody's in him, in him, in his mind, in his body that could verify that, number one. Uh Number two, looking at it from the 
point I am. And listen, I'm the guy who's been as critical as anyone about Tyson and his shortcomings. But at the same time, I've been, which I have to be, because if you're going to believe in yourself as being a, you know, as a person that believes in the truth, you have to say both sides of it. So if you think something's weak, you say it. And no matter what, it's going to come back at you. You know, the haters, the people saying it's sour grapes, whatever. Um, you allow you, you allow your reputation to speak for itself throughout years. And you hope it does speak for itself. And I think, I hope mine does um, for saying what I believe, no matter what my position, as far as, you know, there's no agenda, in other words. Uh, no matter what my position as far as liking, not liking certain things, whatever, past, you know, relationships, it doesn't matter. It comes down to the facts of what I believe and don't believe and my judgment in those facts. And I've pointed out that he's as good a puncher, one of the great punchers in the history of the sport, he being Tyson, and could punch with either hand. You know, we've had great punches, could punch like Wilder now with the right hand, unbelievable. Ernie Shavers, unbelievable. Max Baer back in the 30s, unbelievable with the right hand. You know, whatever. Um, this, you you can go around and find them. Uh, Joe Frazier with the left hook, you know, unbelievable. Uh, devastating. But to be able to punch with both, like I say, both sides of the plate, like, Mickey Mantle, the great switch hitter, could hit with power on either side. Tyson was that, and then you mix it with speed. He was like a large version of Pacquiao, where you have speed and power, and, and a big guy. It was incredible. So I give him his due, and I point out the things where he doesn't, you know, that, he, that I believe should be pointed out when I'm in a position to point him out, when that's what people are asking me to do. They're not asking me to... Do a you know a show based on you know how you position yourself as far as being friendly with everyone or, or of being uh, liked. It's not about being liked. It's not about you know being anything other than giving your opinion on how you see the facts and devoid of everything else, eliminating everything else. Kind of like listen. The, being a professional broadcaster or a professional commentator, uh, in some ways it's no different, except you don't get hit. It's no different than being a professional fighter you, you're so, or a professional in anything. You're supposed to eliminate the emotions and do just what is there to be done. You're in a ring. The guys that can eliminate the emotions the best are the best fighters. It's not just talent. It's the guys that can control themselves when the moment comes. The guys that can slow it down. Michael Jordan, the guy who can grasp the moment, own the moment, push everything else away, no matter what that happens to be. I mean, that's that's the definition for me of being a pro. So for me, when people say, oh, Teddy, you No, to me, I, I hope I'm being a pro, okay? And so I give him all his credit. Tyson was an unbelievable mix of physical ability. His technique was the right technique to pickable, to exploit, to really take advantage of his speed, to, to make a guy miss because he could slip and weave a punch and be in position to bang, bang, explode a bomb with power and speed. So he was tremendous. 
he came up short on the mental side. And now having said that, I will say again, what you touched on with Spinks, a lot of people just dismissed the fight, put an asterisk next to it. They did. Like like the guy didn't show up. Like, oh yeah, but there was nobody in the ring with him. There was it was a hologram. It was a ghost. There was nobody there. It was an empty can. Uh, you know, again, that's what everyone assumes. You know, one guy says it, everybody follows. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. And they forget that the guy was, as you said, an Olympic gold medalist on the greatest Olympic team of all time, 1976, I think. Anyway, five gold medals. And he was a unified light heavyweight champ. What are the great light heavyweight champions in the history of the sport? Okay, I say it again. Not just a light heavyweight champ. One of the great ones of all time. One of the greatest of all time. Okay? And I'm going to make a correlation here, okay? I'm not trying to defend nobody. I'm not trying to attack anyone. I'm just trying to make a case of what I can make a case with to put this stuff in proper perspective that I think is proper perspective. You got Bob Foster, one of the great light heavyweights, for you fans out there that are really into it, one of the great light heavyweights, nobody could argue that. I, I, I don't want to hear the argument. One of the great light heavyweights, and there's a lot of great ones. Billy Kahn, I mean, it depends how far back you want to go. A lot, a lot of great ones, so many. But one of the great light heavyweights of all time, what a puncher too, just like Spinks with the Spinks Jinx, the right hand. Bob Foster was that guy. He did what Spinks did, or he tried to. He moved up to heavyweight before Spinks. And he got annihilated by a guy named Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali. Pretty good heavyweights, Ken. Yep. Tough time to decide to go to heavyweights. Tough time to decide. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know? Like, uh, really? Oh, well, you, you decide to go out to a concert and it's like a typhoon. You picked the wrong day. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just... Yep. So... He, he gets destroyed, and everyone kind of forgets a little bit, a little bit about how great this guy. That happened to Spinks. That happened to Spinks. They forget that he was all this, and they forget that he had moved up to heavyweight and won the heavyweight title and beat Larry Holmes twice and stopped Larry Holmes from breaking Marciano's record of 49-0 and or tying it, of tying it. Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes was forty-eight and zero going into that first fight. Yeah, he, he broke. He broke the string. You know, I mean, Spinks broke the string. He he stopped Holmes from tying the record of Rocky Marciano. And I know a lot of people are going to say, "Oh, Holmes was was not the same fight. He was over the hill. he wasn't over the hill." Okay, he was he starting to show a shadow. Yeah. You you show a shadow too a little bit. Be it, be it. Not not no other. Not nothing else. Nothing else. And um, <laughs> but he was still a he was still a formidable fighter. So this guy was in chopped liver. Now he here's here's the whole thing. I'm not in his mind, his heart, his spirit. Spinks that is of his level of intimidation at night. I will say this. I try to look at everything. He was cold. He wasn't warmed up well. I will say that. 
I didn't see a sweat. Tyson had a sweat. Anytime when I was doing ESPN fights for 23 years at ringside, if I saw a guy come in without a sweat, right away I would warn the audience, be ready for something. You know, what do you mean, Ted? Just be ready. Because when a guy's cold, something can happen. He can be vulnerable early. Be ready. Just be ready. I'm not saying he's getting knocked out one round, but it's possible. So that's one thing. But I know that during the fight, he threw a bomb of a right hand. He didn't see if a guy's really gone, he throws don't hit me punches because he's gone. He's gone. He's no longer in control of himself. He's just a shell. He's going through the motions. I saw him not late, but early in a fight, he threw rah, he threw a right hand, a Sphinx jinx. It missed. Because Tyson was good enough to make a miss. Um so at, at that moment, he wasn't gone. At that moment, he hadn't spit the bit on trying to win. Uh, he hadn't. He wasn't dead man walking. At that moment, he tried to knock out Tyson, but Tyson was good enough to get away from him. Here's the whole thing. They don't give Spinks enough credit. They don't give Tyson enough credit. And here I am defending a guy. That's not what I did the show to do, but it's what it calls for. It's what it calls. I knocked him. Knock the socks off him sometimes when I thought it called for it. It called for me to give this man, Mike Tyson, the credit he deserves that night. That particular night, he was as good as any heavyweight in the history of the sport on that particular night. That's why he did what he did to Spinks that had this resume I just told you. That's why. That's why he was that good. He was controlled. He was calm. He was supremely confident. Custom out of my mentor once told me, Teddy, I've only seen two people in the history of the sport supremely confident. You never, you very rarely see it where they believe they can't get beat. Like a Michael Jordan in basketball. They, you can't beat me. I control the universe. You can't beat me. You can't beat me. And he said, I only seen two. Sugar Ray Robinson, the original, and Muhammad Ali, the one and only. He said, there's a power, there's a force to that, if you get it. That night, he had that power. Mike Tyson was supremely confident. He was calm. When you're calm, you slow everything down. You see things at a different pace than others see it. Well, Others see it where it's too fast, maybe. It's chaos. When you're at that level, even in a chaotic place, you see sense. You see things that make sense in a senseless place, in a place of madness, in a place of, of just fire. You're calm. You're in your moment. You're in your element. You're calm in an uncalm place. And that was Tyson. You see everything. You, you might see a twitch on a guy's shoulder, Ken, before he's about to throw a jab. Yeah. Yeah. You might see just a twitch of a muscle. Nobody sees that. Nobody sees that. But when you're in that place, you see it. Just a twitch. And you know, oh, you move and they say, wow, what is sense of anticipation? How do you get away from that? <laughs> well, that's part of the answer. That's part of the answer. And Tyson was that man. There's very few. That night, and he already had all the physical attributes that that you're very fortunate, beyond fortunate. Very few people have it. 
that power, the speed, the quickness, and again, the technique, the teaching, where he could, that was his, that's what he used to drive those talents. You have to have a way of taking those talents somewhere. His technique took those talents somewhere. As I said, he could make you miss. He could explode a punch on create an opening. That night, that night, Mike Tyson had it all. He had confidence, calmness. He always had speed and power. He, he, had, he had an aura about him. There was, nobody was going to beat him that night. I don't know of anybody. And again, a lot of people that are going to hear this episode, they're going to say, holy, you know, crapsies. Um, he, he just gave Tyson that kind of credit. Really? When he said other things that he said in the past? Yeah, I know what I've said in the past. Damn right. On that given night, you know the problem with Spinks? It was Tyson. That's what it was. It was that Tyson was the package. He was that good. He was that good. You know what he did? He had a plan. He knew what he was going to do. He was aggressive. He wanted to be the boss, which he usually tried to be, but he was aggressive, not by accident, not just that, you know, but he knew, he knew that he wanted to convey a feeling to Spinks. So he came out hot, but under control. He came out fast, but calculating. So he came out and he, he wanted the guy to be on his back foot. He wanted him to be moving so he wouldn't be set for that right hand. Because if you're a good puncher, you need to be set. So he knew what he was doing with that. So he was sending a message, a physical message and a mental message. And when he backed him into the ropes, you know, quickly in the first round. And like I said, before he got to that point, he made a bomb of a right hand that if it landed, who knows what would have happened. But it was the real spring strings. It, was the, it wasn't thrown from a dead man. It was thrown from a guy who was trying to win at that moment, at that moment. And he made it miss. Again, his intellect, his technique, his, his ability. He gets him, backs him into the rope. He hits him a left uppercut. And then what does he do? He goes over to find the opening. He goes over, knowing the reaction of that punch is going to cause something, and leave an opening over here. So he goes over and he finds the body. Bang! Hits him in the body. Boom! Down. First knockdown. Boom! Clean. It wasn't caveman. Clean. I mean, brilliant. Nobody notices that. Nobody gives credit for that. I mean, if that was happening in an opera, people would be up in the, those places that you sit. You know, those those little... <laughs> you know what I mean, right? With the those glasses yeah. that, you know, the, the, you, you look through, right? Those little... <laughs> and, and, and so whoa right bravo bravo you know what bravo bravo then he gets up he gets the count spinks he doesn't say no he doesn't try to get out he says i'm ready he really he says All right, i'm ready and now he's ready tyson starts coming in casual casual like like he's going to get his kid ice cream I mean, I mean, really, think of it. Ken, so he comes in there. The ring is not a place usually to be casual. He comes walking yeah. in like casual, like, you know, but he knows what he's doing. He's completely, it's his moment. Again, 
He's completely in control of the moment. That's quite a statement. And he comes walking in. He knows that the guy's desperate. He's going to throw his Sunday punch to Spinks Jinx, the right hand. He knows. So he goes in there, and as he throws it, he makes it miss. Bang! In a millisecond, counters back with his own right hand. Because he knew it was coming. He actually tried to beat him with a left hook. And he slipped up. Bang! And he goes, he's down. Spinks never saw the punch. Mm-hmm. It was brilliant. I mean, it was, oh, I mean, it was perfect. And then Spinks tries to get up. He falls this way, he falls that way. He falls, the cameraman cut away. Cut away probably five seconds too soon, probably. He, because you really didn't get a chance to really feel the whole it's kind of like when the wave destroys the town and then you see the houses wash away. You know, you didn't really get to see the houses wash away. I mean, he he went through the ropes trying to get up, kind of like Burbick, and he, and he fell forward through the ropes. I mean, that night, he was Jack Dempsey, he was Joe Lewis, he was Muhammad. I know the styles are different, but take your, go ahead. Pick your guy, George Foreman, Joe Frazier. Pick your guy. I think I just named a few pretty good ones. He was he was all of that. He was that good. And he's just, And I'm saying what maybe I should have said a while ago. Maybe I should have. I don't know. Maybe I was never asked to that level. Yeah. Mike Tyson that night was as good as any heavyweight on any night. Where did you watch that fight? Did you watch it live? No, I I watched it, I'm trying to remember. I watched it at home, I believe, I'm trying to remember. I mean, there's certain ones you remember. Uh, I think I watched it, I believe I watched it at home. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't always uh, the guy that you wanted to hang out with during a Tyson fight. <laughs> So, That's interesting. So I, I I don't know. So I probably I probably went to some secluded place. I I might have been in a tree somewhere, like in like a tree house. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say that because one of the things I get asked most about when it comes to this show, I mean, literally, on a, every few days, someone will send me a message and ask about the status of your relationship with Mike now. And, and and we've discussed it on the show that, you know, your relationship went south with Mike when you were in Catskills. You left. The relationship was severed. Have you had any conversations with him since then? And if so, like, what what, what did they consist of? Well, yeah, there was a time, I mean, there was a time when... Uh, I don't know if I want to talk about it. That's why I'm delaying a little bit. Um, and even that, I'll be, you know, be transparent about it. I don't know if I want to answer that question there, Mr. Ken Rideout. <laughs> um, but the first time, I think there was in the hallway in the felt form, believe it or not. My memory is better than I, sometimes surprises me. I think it was at the felt form. I had a fighter fighting with Mickey Duff. And uh, Mickey Duff, the legendary manager. I believe I had Chris Reed. Shamrock Express. Good kid. Great kid. 
he's not with us no more. I, I think I was in the felt form, Madison Square Garden or the felt form. The old felt form was what is the Madison Square Garden Theater now. It's the smaller arena. But it was a legendary place where fights went on every you know, every couple of weeks, I guess. And, uh, you know, it was the breeding ground for fighters coming up before they got to the garden. So it was either there or the garden, but we were in the hallway and he came through with somebody and I was there with, I believe with Mickey Duff and whoever I had fighting that night, I think it was Chris Reed. And we saw each other in the hallway, nothing, you know, whatever. And then there was another time at Gleason's gym. I, I, I was in Gleason's gym, the, you know, the one that was in Manhattan. So when I came back from Catskill, that's that's where I was training, started training fighters again. After seven years with Cus. And uh, it was in right a couple blocks away from Madison Square Garden. What a place. What a place. What a time. Oh, unbelievable. But they moved to Brooklyn. So we're in Brooklyn, and Tyson was heavyweight champ of the world. And he was doing a Japanese beer commercial, if my memory is correct. And so they put signs up. The gym would be closed for, I don't know if it was one, two days of shooting, whatever. But certain people could get access, you know, not that I'm anything special, but it's the way it is, right? The way it is, you know, certain people, not just me, but a couple guys, they were given the, you know, whatever you want to call it, the respect, the opportunity, um, where we didn't have to go find another gym that day, where the owners of the gym said, yeah, you could come in, just stay you know, they're going to have this part of the gym. It's a big gym back then. Uh, you know, we'll have a section where they won't be in. And if, if you need to come in, Ted, uh, you know, they, again, they, they're giving you a, they're just doing a nice thing and granting you that, that you know, that kind of accommodation, that kind of favor. So there was a few guys that could come in, and I was one of them. So I came in with my fight up only because, hey, I didn't want to be in the gym that day. You know, I've, I didn't. I mean, and uh, but you do a lot of things in life you don't want to do when you have an obligation or commitment. I had a fighter getting ready for a fight, and that's what I needed to do. You know, either ignore that commitment make up a reason that I had in my mind could be a reason, don't want to be near Tyson, or do what you're supposed to do, eliminate that. And how am I going to be a trainer if I can't do that? How am I going to be a trainer where that's one of my main jobs? You know, forget about teaching a guy to slip a right hand and to, you know, to throw a left hook to the body and then bring it up to the head and, you know, at the same time get away from the punches coming back and forget about that. How the hell am I going to be a trainer if I can't, you know, do what I'm supposed to do under a little pressure and and fulfill my commitment. That's what you're trying to teach a fighter. Fulfill your commitment. Fulfill your obligation. Be strong when the moment comes. Make the right choices. So anyway, the choice was to go to the gym. So that was the end of it. And, um, you know, I stayed on my side. 
He was over on the side. I saw where everything was set up, the lights. So I stayed on my side, and we had the locker room. I went back into the locker room, and I had a big army locker. I was probably the only guy in the gym. Maybe Victor Valley, the great old trainer. Maybe he had one too. But I had a big army locker that somebody had given me. And uh, I had brought it over from the old Gleason's. In the old Gleason's, I had my own office. There was only two people that had an office. Kind of proud of it, you know. Um, uh, me and Victor Valley were the only guys who we had our own offices. It was kind of, it was, it was cool. So uh, I go into the locker room and box is a tough business and there's some, you know, some tough characters, some that aren't so tough, but there's some tough ones and it's, you know, it's, uh, you know, you got to be prepared. You got some guys that they try to do things they shouldn't do, like talk to your fighter, take your fighter. You know, you gotta, you gotta be stern. You got, you're, you're not, you're not in the gumball business. It's not Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, okay? <laughs> and so, and sometimes things happen. What's that word? You know, and uh, what was that? The uh, the Gump, the Forrest Gump movie. You know, and the guy who invented that shirt, you know, stuff happens, right? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so in case that stuff happened, you have everything you prepared to have, you're supposed to have. I have my pads. I have my gloves. I got a lot of gloves. I got different size gloves. I even had a headgear that was specially made by a guy named John Gollum from Everlast. Years, years, years. I was the first one to have one where he actually made a, protector a nose protector because for chris reed because he got cut easy and i wanted to be able to spar without getting cut they never had him before now they got him of course yeah and uh so i had that i had everything you're supposed to have you know i had stuff to fix a cut i had gauze i had hand wraps i i mean i used to put special stuff on chris's skin before he sparred because sometimes i didn't want him to wear the mask because it gives you a full sense of protection and then you're not doing what you got to do you're not getting away from the punches yeah so um you don't realize it so i would take cotton and i i was like a first aid i was like a mesh unit you know i mean i i, I would take a, and and i would put the cotton i dry his skin i put the cotton and then i put adhesive tape but i would take a uh a cigarette lighter and and heat up the adhesive. See, these are things you learn to trade from the old timers because it would make the adhesive more sticky, Ken. Yeah. And so you and people watch me. They go, "Look at this! What the hell? What, <laughs> what, what's this madman doing over there?" You know. And then I would put it. But the old timers, they liked it. They liked it. They were like, I haven't seen somebody do that since sixteen sixty four. Yeah, you know, like so. I put the adhesive tape over. I heat it up, put it over it, you know, and uh, put it in place, and then uh, fit the headgear over it so it wouldn't come loose. And so I had everything in that freaking army locker, and I had a metal pipe. <laughs> A big one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and listen, I'm, you know, I'm not, you ask a story, you, you know, you tell it, you don't tell it, so you tell it, but, um, or you don't. But did I want to use it? No. Did I, was I trying to be a whatever? No. 
just I'm I'm gonna fight some of my aunts, and you know, and I had plenty of those in that place to be quite frank, um, and that's <laughs> the way you're supposed to have them. Um, but somebody might decide not to have one with their hands. So in that yeah possible moment, I figured at least I'd have something. You know, pipe versus a knife. At least I got something that gives me a fair shot. You know, and um, yeah. that's all. And you hope you never use it. Anyway, I go back into the. I know where I am, right? I know who's in the place. And I go back into the, and it's right near the bathroom. And my locker is the first one. I go back there, I open up the locker, take out what I need to train a fighter, and I see the pipe and I I take it out. I just place it against the door. That's all. Just something told me. You know, like instincts, whatever. Something told me, you know, kind of like before you go. I know it's like, oh, Teddy, you really, a pipe? come on, you freaking idiot. Hey, <laughs> you're in my position and my... I don't know, maybe you'd be an idiot too. Maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you'd just, you know, uh, someone would probably say to me, Teddy, I can see take, taking an umbrella before you go out the door if it looks a little heavy out there, right? It looks a little overcast, <laughs> but you know what I mean? A pipe? I, and yeah, by the way, yeah. I the one thing I didn't have, I didn't have an umbrella. <laughs> That's the funny thing. I I had no I had no the I I can't tell you how many gentlemen in the gym good guys w- when I walk out of there to go to the subway pouring rain Teddy you want to borrow my umbrella <laughs> like I got <laughs> Teddy you got an umbrella Ted do you have you going out there you have an umbrella I how many times I thought I got a pipe but I don't have an umbrella you know <laughs> uh, nope no umbrella yeah so I lean it against the door nobody could see it but me. I don't know. It's weird. And I'm getting the stuff out and I feel. You know when you feel somebody behind you? Yep. I just, you know, you feel it. You do. I just felt somebody behind me. Nobody in the place. In the back of the lot. Nobody. Except me. I turn around and Mike Tyson, heavyweight champ of the world. <laughs> standing right there. <laughs> <laughs> My instincts were good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I said to myself, okay. I'm not. I'm gonna stay close to this door because you know it was a matter of how quick I can get. You know, yeah, I can get that. I I knew exactly where I was and what I was doing. I did. I mean, you better know if that's the position you you're in. And uh, so I stayed with. I took a little step towards him. But just enough to do what I needed to do, but at the same time stay within the realm of what I needed to stay within. And uh, we stared at each other. It felt like about 14 hours, but it was probably about 14 (laughs) seconds, maybe less. And then he broke it off and he went into the bathroom and that was the end of it. No words exchanged. That was the end of it. No words, nothing. And um, and that was pretty much it for years, until until there was a reconciliation. Uh, I didn't have any idea, you know. 
So I definitely didn't have a pipe with me. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, and and again, I mean, you know, you you you're gonna if you don't have you you do what you got to do. One thing you're not gonna do, you're not gonna. At least I feel you're not gonna lose yourself. You're not gonna, you know, you try to. If you don't have a pipe, you do what you got to do with what you have, not yourself. And normally you wouldn't want to have a pipe, obviously, but these women normal, completely normal conditions. Um, like I say all the time in this business when I break down stuff, you could be tough, but you could also be smart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know? Yep. So, anyway. So you said there was a reconciliation. So, oh, okay, go ahead. Fast forward, yeah. It's Verona, New York. It's become a pretty big casino. I was there when it just started with ESPN. We did a lot of shows there, Friday Night Fights, a lot. And it was the Turning Stone Casino in Verona, New York. And not far from Kennesaw Hall of Fame. Yep. We're doing a show up there. It was Mike Tyson Promotions. Tyson had, for a little while had become a promoter. Not really, because somebody was paying him to use his name, and it didn't, I don't know how long the company lasted, not too long. But, you know, it was, it was they were they had the date. They had that show. And Tyson was there. Again, it was under his banner, right? Tyson Promotions, or Iron Mike Promotions, if I remember correctly. And he's there in the house. I'm not thinking about it, really, to be honest. And... I'm doing the show. I'm on the air. It was the last show of the year. It was the last Friday Night Fight show of the year. because So that means it must have been... Let's see. It must have been uh, in September or August. It must have been August or close to September because we used to go all year long. And then we went to a place where the ESPN executive said, they got smarter. They said, you know what? We can't go up against college football. So when college football starts, August, whatever, right? Um, we go off the air. We come back on the air after the season. So it was the last show of the season. So if, my, if I'm correct about this, it was probably August. August or September, whatever. Robbie, uh, our man over here, our producer, he's already on top of it, and he's looking. And... I'm doing this show. I'm on the air live, corner fights, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, all of a sudden my producer says, "Listen, Ted," uh, and I'm in the middle of corner fight. He's talking to you over in your headphones. Yeah, my headphones, and I'm, and I'm like, you know, you could do a talk back, so you could hit the talk yeah. back, but I can't do the talk back because I'm talking. <laughs> So the producer comes on, great, great, great man, great man. And uh, uh, anyway, he's not with us, so I, it's, he was a hell of a man. So he, I'm, I'm doing the uh, broadcast, and all of a sudden he says, Teddy, don't want to, <laughs> he was the best. He goes, don't want to, you know, throw you to distract, distract you in any way, but I'm, and I'm listening, like, what is he saying? Like, you know, I'm trying to call this fight. A left hook is coming, whatever. Uh, Daddy, I don't want to distract you, nothing, but uh, uh, I just want to tell you, um, uh, 
Mike Tyson's behind you. (laughs) 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 You know, want to distract me? (laughs) (laughs) He was the best, Ken. Yeah. uh, yeah, uh, Mike Tyson's behind you. (laughs) Uh, We're here if you need us. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) what? Do I need to? Should I send somebody down? (laughs) You know, like I said, I'm like, you know, I'm waiting to get to the talk back where I could, you know, like. You know, anybody got a pipe? <laughs> you know, like, uh, so, uh, you know, so I'm, again, being a pro, like you talk about doing what you got to do and handling the moment. And so I, I keep doing a broadcast. And, you know, now I know he's, so now he's given me more information. Teddy, he wants to talk to you. He wants to, like, uh, uh, he picked a hell of a moment, right? But, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, uh, maybe that was part of it. Again, we always talk the truth either way, even if it comes back yeah. and slaps me. For and I have to say, you know, I was an idiot. Uh, then I got to be able to take that too. And uh, but he wants we're, we're being told by his people he wants to apologize to you. And it's a lot. It's a lot to digest while you're on the air. You know. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And and uh, you know the first part is he's standing behind you, <laughs> like <laughs> it, it was kind of like you know I love to make the analogies with the movies. It was you ever see the movie uh, Escape from Alcatraz with the great Clint Eastwood? Okay, remember they're yep. in the yard. They're in the yard at the beginning, yep. and he had a problem. He had had a fight with one of the toughs in the jail. Um, I think the guy's name was Wolf. Of course, it was Wolf, yep. right? Has to be <laughs> yeah. Wolf. So. He he had had a problem with Wolf. And Wolf, of course, Wolf had lost, I guess, to, with the I, I remember. And so now Wolf was coming back at him. So he's talking to this guy in the yard. And as they're talking, Wolf starts coming at him. And Wolf's got a shift. As long as we're going to talk yeah. jailhouse stuff, that's used the right terminology, yeah. right? <laughs> he, he's got yeah. a, a, a handmade knife, a shift. So he's coming walking toward. So all of a sudden he goes. The guy tells him, and of course, Eastwood's back is towards Wolf. So the guy talking, the inmate talking to him, says, "Wolf's coming towards you." He says, uh, "He's coming toward you." He said, "Which? He's got something in his hand. Which hand? His right hand. (laughs) Like he's getting the. He's staying calm in the moment." And he's he's digesting what he needs to. You can't panic. You got to do, okay, he's coming, Wolf. I know he's not coming to give me a birthday present, right? So he's coming. <laughs> All right. So he's got some something in his uh, something in his hand. And uh, which hand? The right hand. Okay. How close is he? About five yards. Okay. And then he knows which way to turn. He knows, you know. What to, so I was, like afterwards, I'm laughing to myself. It's like, you know, when he first said Tyson's behind you, I wanted to hear like, and I couldn't. But uh, there was a part of me that wanted to say, which side? Like, <laughs> my is he behind my right shoulder or my left? Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, you know, like which? W- w- give me more information. Don't just tell me Tyson's behind me. You know, that's how you're thinking. That's how you're thinking. Yeah. So anyway, here we are on the air. So the producer, you know, great producer, handles it really well because he don't know what's coming. He says, Teddy, he wants to 
you know, he gives me the info. He says he wants to apologize. He's behind you. So, you know, it's up to you. Do whatever you want. You're free to do whatever. So here I am on the air. I don't know if this is going to happen, but uh, your nature takes over. Your instincts take over. You just So I get up. I turn around. I, I'm trying to remember if the round was still going on or if it was a break uh, in the round. I'm not sure. Maybe it was a break in the round. We had waited long enough for the round to end or the fight to end, but I, I'm not sure. Anyway, I get up, I turn around, and there he is. And like I said, I've been already told that he, you know, he wants to, you know, say he's sorry. And... You know, he didn't waste time. He's, there he is, standing right there. And he just said, I want to shake your hand. Uh, no, no, he said, I'm sorry. Hey, it takes a man to do that, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of people said, why'd you, some people said, why'd you shake his hand? But uh, you do what you want to do and what you call it. You can't be perfect. I don't know if it's the right decision, but you want to make what you think is the right decision for everything that it represents for yourself your family yeah it's not just for you and uh because it it you know it, it impacted my family not just me and um so to me a lot of people asked was he sincere do you think he was sincere was it a you know it's a fair question do you think it was a tv moment was this that listen my answer then was my answer now. I don't know. All I know is you have to trust something for yourself and make a decision. And what I felt was, number one, I don't know how sincere it was, but I felt that it was. And number two, if a man is man enough to come back to you. He doesn't have to. When he comes back to you and he says, I'm sorry for what I did. I was. Uh, he actually said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And if a man comes back and is man enough, at least that's the way I'm, that's all you can judge it by. You can't go break it down and say, but did he do it for the, at that moment, I believe what he was saying. And, it's it's it takes something to do that. It does. It takes something to do that on his part. You know, to say that, to put himself in that position. And I just felt because I did, I did think it. Because I think about, you know, what I'm gonna do and not do or whatever. And because I always was afraid of living with what I do. That's one of the reasons why I was able to do certain things when I, I didn't want to be in situations where I had to do something or face something. I didn't want, I was scared to death, but I was more scared to death of how I would feel the next day if I, did, if I didn't. I was scared of that. Actually, I was petrified of that. It felt like death. Anyway, I, so I, um, I thought, if he's putting his hand out, man enough to put his hand out, I better, I think I should be decent enough, man enough, whatever word, to to make a decision quick and I accept it or not. And I, you know, I put my hand out, I accept it, he hugged me. 
And that's when he said to me, I'm sorry, um, I was wrong. And it felt, I don't know. It, um, I can't tell you, oh, it made up or it did this. or Because we were way past that. We were 100 million miles yeah. past that by now. And mm-hmm. all I could tell you is, you know, I don't know, like some people say somebody dies, you get closure, finally through something, whatever, or you try to get it, whatever. Uh, you go through that, whatever. Uh, he he said it, and it it felt real, it felt sincere. And I don't know, I you could say it don't mean nothing, but it meant something. It's like I appreciated it. I've seen um, uh, uh, recently, I think yesterday on his podcast, he was basically apologizing again. Your name came up and he was saying like, yeah, he, he was wrong. He apologized. He basically said he wouldn't have been, he wouldn't be the champion that he was had you not been involved in his career in the early days. Basically, like I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for Teddy Atlas. So I do think upon further reflection, he probably realizes that as a 15, 16 year old kid, he did something very stupid, spur of the moment. And remember, this is a 16, 15, 16 year old kid that was 210 pounds of muscle that had all... Yep. Had won the national junior Olympics all by knockout two years in a row, so it was a yep. he's uh, a little bit of a phenomena, a little bit different. But inside his mind, I get it still. But anyway, um, I just wonder if now looking back, you you can say if if you can have some a little more forgiveness and say like you know what? no no was- I listen. First of all, what he said, I didn't know that he said that. What you just read. Uh, that's gracious of him because I don't know if it's true. I did do a pretty good job of teaching him, I thought. But um, especially at that time when he, the formative time, the beginning of his, when he was, the things you're going to learn earlier, the things you're going to use late, quite frankly. Yep. You just become stronger and faster and more experienced and more confident. But the way you're taught is the way you're going to do it later. Really, a lot of people don't realize that. You could take a kid and you could teach him your first six months, let's say, say he's 12 years old, that's what Tyson was, but whatever. And you could teach him, and then 10 years later, when the kid's 22, you know, Tyson, I think, was 21 because he, I think that's what he was when he won the title. He was the youngest ever. He beat Floyd Patterson's record of the youngest ever. And Floyd Patterson, what they have in common, Floyd Patterson was also managed, you know, and and trained by Customato. Um So, you know, you could actually say that what the fighter learns when he's in his first six months as a kid is what he uses 10 years later, if that's what the time frame is, to win the title. He, he, he uses the same thing. He hasn't had to, he's learned more, don't get me wrong. But in some ways, some fighters may not have actually learned anymore. They actually might not have learned any more variations of punches for their arsenal. Believe it or not. But they've learned how to use it. They've learned how to use it in different ways under pressure. But the same thing they learned six months into their life of, Training is the same thing they use when they're 10 years later, whatever it is, winning the world title. You know, that yeah. that's all they needed. But they needed to experience the great experience to use it in a way that it had to be used. But 
Uh, I, I'll tell you something I did wrong. Because I talked about this with Sid Rosenberg. And it, listen, we have a pretty big f- platform here. And I've said things about him in the past. Again, both sides. Good, bad, whatever. Whatever. I shouldn't even say bad. Good and not always uh, what you'd want to hear about yourself. But in my mind, true. So that's 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 enough. And uh, the next day, to speak to the sincerity of it and the deepness of what he did, and it it it, it meant in some ways it. It moved me or caught me more, impacted me more than the night before. He was waiting for me when I came down to check out in the lobby. I'm trying to be really obviously accurate. But I remember he was waiting in the lobby, and he came over to me, and he just... Tyson is a very... He's a complex guy, but he's... We're all complex in some ways. Um, but he, like I think all of us to a certain degree, he he needs acceptance. He needs, he wants, uh, you know, he wants to feel, he, he wants to be able to just feel some love. I, I didn't want to use that word. I'm trying to look for a better word, but just wants to feel affection from somebody, like like that. Because in a lot of ways, he's you know he's done some bad things, but he's and I'm not changing that. And I think he knows that, and he does know, and he's he lives with it himself as far as on the level of regret that he has, and that's up to him. That's not up to me to to go into, but you know. The telling of a man, I think, is is maybe the finished product of the man, where he gets, not just what he's been through and where he was, but where he gets and that he wants to get there. I think that's the telling of a man to a, to a great extent. And I hope he's getting to where he wants to be and he's gotten to where he wants to. I really, truly do. And I, I hope he has, and I hope he is. But on that morning... Again, he was shown a side that I was aware of, of course, being with him for those years. But now this was years later, more, you know, more seasoned, grown-up guy, obviously. And uh, he was showing a, a same need for affection, a need for, you know, t- to, be, to be able to, to feel that somebody cares or that he can show care and get back care. People wouldn't think that, but he, and he came up to me, and as I was walking, we would talk for a minute, he was rubbing my back. And again, it was, that was just real. It was just, he, uh, I don't know, he was just, only he knows. But it felt like he, again, he wanted to show he wanted to show his, um, you know, sincerity of how he wanted you to know that he was telling you the truth. 
and he was hoping that uh, by doing that, it meant something, and it meant something to make you feel better. He had the capacity to care about that you felt better to make him feel better. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And yep. and he was uh, so. I got his phone number. I think we exchanged phone numbers. And here's where I, I think I did something that I was I was weak. Selfish, whatever. Uh, he asked me to call him. Let's talk something like that. I wasn't sure that I was going to do that. So we somehow, I don't know if we exchanged him at that moment or we, we got the numbers from other people later. Costas Mandalaw, the actor, was there. He was friendly with Tyson. A lot of guys are friendly with him. And um, I don't know if he was the one who got the number to me later. But I remember calling him, which he had asked me to do. But when I called him, I probably just should have called and said, hey, you know, listen, I don't live in a world where all of a sudden I make myself go into la-la land. And say, <laughs> I'm in, uh, you know, I'm in lollipop land, uh, you know, and uh, everything's great. We're going to go out and, you know, we're going to have dinner, you know, every Thursday. Uh, but um, I, I called him and it should have been along the lines more of, hey, hey, Mike, you know, what's up? He asked me to call you, whatever. I don't know if he called me first. I don't remember. But uh, I called him at that moment. And instead of just saying, hey, you know, what's up? How you doing? That's all. See where it takes us. I called him to come to my charity foundation dinner, which means a lot to me. I have to get people there that people want to come and pay to come watch. I'm very blessed. I get people like Tony Dancer, Phil Sims, you know, Curtis Martin, uh, George Foreman, uh, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard. I mean, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. But I I need uh, Bill Parcells. I need to have those kind of celebrities to be able to, to make money for the foundation to help people because we help people. I mean, 23 years now. Uh, I'm very lucky, privileged that we could do that. I mean, we, we got kids with cancer, we, we, we help the family. It's a single mom, she's got a kid with cancer, they have a, whatever, they, they don't have the insurance to, to fly them out of state maybe, or to, to, to maybe the treatment program that's best for, I remember years ago we had a girl, for example, you think New York has all the best houses, and they do, great. But this particular cancer she had, some form of leukemia, for a young girl, for a pediatric uh, Seattle, Washington was the best place. So we were able to fly around because that was the best place. And, you know, put up the parents while they're there uh, to see if she's eligible for the program. So whatever it is, we put handicap ramps up. We, we, whatever it is that we do, we do it 24-7. It costs money. So I got to have this big dinner every year. I'm worried this year because with this pandemic, I don't know if we're going to have it. But anyway, we'll figure it out. So I got to have celebrities to help do this, to raise money in this big dinner. It's always the week before Thanksgiving in November. So that's what I wound up calling him. I, 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 re, I regret it. Because it came off, I think, 
And he's right. He's wrong in a lot of ways. But and I think I'm right sometimes, but I'm wrong. I I was asking him for just for to for that. Instead of what he needed, what it needed to be first was just to try to mend some fences, I don't know, to to or just to walk up the road a few feet after the after where we had been instead of just saying, "Hey, come to my dinner because you help me make money." Because that's basically what I was saying. I'd like you to come to the dinner. Uh, I do this charity. And he, I could hear it in his voice. He said, uh, why don't we talk first? Why don't we first see each other? Or why don't we first, uh, he was, I think he was probably, hey, he, uh, he was right. He was right. Um, because it, I know how I probably would have felt the same way. Like this guy's just using me. And for me, I make no apologizes if that's what I was doing. Yeah, because I think that it's for the cause that I don't have a problem uh, doing that. But it doesn't mean it's right to that person. It doesn't mean it feels right to that person, you know, uh, under these yeah. circumstances. After all that amount of time, yeah. after what he had to go through to to say what he said to me, you know. That's, that but I story. think the fact that you have enough self-realization to even point that out now in hindsight is the reason why he said what he said. And his exact quote yesterday, Rob, reminded me of it on his podcast with Tyrone Woodley. He said of you, he said, I love Teddy. I was never mad at Teddy. And I think that that's true. And I think that the re, you know, he made a mistake and probably had, it took him a while to come around to like acknowledging it. But I think that he, he, he's probably sincerely does love you and realizes he made a mistake because of the kind of person you are that you recognize your own mistakes and are big enough to say, yeah, I made a mistake there. And I think he admires that quality I, in, I in addition to others. I appreciate it. I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah. but I know that how he must have felt. That's all. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I, I don't blame him probably if that's what he felt. Well, I appreciate you sharing that story with us. Like I say, it's one of the things, one of the questions that I get more than any from uh, fans of the show when I bump into them. They always want to know the backstory with you and Mike. You know, that so night, let me interrupt you. you. That night I've yeah, knocked the crap out of him, right? Rightfully so. Again, I, I, yeah. you can only believe what you believe and judge what you judge so of course i think it's right because i i don't do it because i got up on the left side of the bed that day and said oh this is the day to knock the crap out of someone <laughs> you know i i i do it because i i believe it but and i've no, i've talked about how he's lost the fights where he had to overcome something in those fights in those moments he's lost those fights um and I've said it, so I'm not hiding from that. But on that night with Spinks, and I've talked about how he's been weak, and what his weakness is, you know, if you will, his kryptonite, whatever way you want to put it, his flaws, we all have them. On that night with Spinks, and I've never said it before. I said it on Sid Rosenberg, but I'm I'm probably saying it for the first time. Well, definitely in Sid Rosenberg was the first time I said it on his show, on his Instagram show. But I'm saying it probably to a much deeper degree on this show. On that night with Spinks, he he had no weaknesses. That's it. 
Mm-hmm. Anybody he would have been in the ring with that night, he would have had a damn good chance to beat the way he was that night. Just the way he was that night. And again, it's, it's funny because on a list of his accomplishments, that's not even on there because, and I feel in some ways, you know, you feel bad for Spinks because Spinks becomes a footnote <laughs> in some ways in people's estimation of the fighter he was because all they remember, because it was such a big fight, it was so seen by so many people and it was so devastating, you know, it's so dynamic, the results of it, that that's all they tie into Spinks' career is that, which is a damn it's crazy travesty. It, it's a travesty. It's a shame. I've, I've, for a second there, I felt like Stephen A. Smith. <laughs> I, just, like, I love Stephen A. Smith. You know that already. Yeah. But I just felt like Stephen. It's a travesty, Teddy. It's a travesty. <laughs> but um, I just, I, I, that, uh, I'm just saying that Spinks, that that's what he's remembered for. You know, just that. When there was so much more that Spinks should be remembered for. That's it. Yeah, unified champion at light heavyweight at three different titles, three titles at heavyweight, Olympic gold medal, undefeated, one loss. And like you said, he's remembered as a footnote for getting blasted out of there by Tyson. But as you also said, Tyson was at peak Tyson. That was as good as he's as good as maybe he's maybe he was a Tyson that Cuss always wanted him to be. That he was that perfect fighter. Cuss in some ways thought he could be that his last heavyweight champ, which he was. And that that perfect fighter, and he wasn't. He wasn't. But on that, and he wasn't. <laughs> Is it clear enough? <laughs> but on that night, he he maybe he was on that night. On that night. On that night, he was yeah. he he was everything Cus wanted him to be. You know, he was everything that you thought he could be with everything else that he had with all the other characteristics and physical attributes that he had on that night, none of the flaws, none of the wolves were at the door barking. There was only one wolf in that ring that night. Mike Tyson. Well... Thanks for sharing those stories. I really appreciate it. I know the fans are going to care are going to enjoy this one. And before we sign off, just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor Athletic Greens. Once again, an all-in-one supplement. I take it every day. Teddy uses it. Nicole Atlas uses it. The great producer Rob Moore uses it. So please check them out, athleticgreens.com. Use the promo code ATLAS for 20 free travel packets, basically 20 free servings for um, using the promo code ATLAS. And with that, Teddy, thanks again. It was great being with you. Hey, Ken, it's always great being with you. And uh, if you really want to promote Athletic Greens, which is – you know, a good product, we wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't a good product. It should show the before and after pictures of you. <laughs> you you you're looking good, kid. You're looking good. All right, I'll you're get you're looking good. I'll get the fat pictures out. You're looking Thanks, good Daddy. now. You're looking good now. Appreciate okay. you guys. Thanks for the support. Oh.